0: Good morning, church. If you go home and there is Play-Doh on your wall, I apologize. For all the kids, just so that you know, it was not colored neon when it first got started, so that may have something to do with it. Uh, Listen, I want to, before we get into the the nuts and bolts of the sermon today, I want to let you know, I, I asked you a couple of weeks ago to be praying for our staff. Our pastoral ministerial staff got away for a week. Uh, We just knew that uh, we had some big things that we needed to wrestle with together as a group concerning uh, what God has planned for us, not just next year, but just as we try to be uh, who he designed us to be as disciples. And so uh, each week this month, uh, because we're going to be unleashing most of it in January, because we want to put everything together and make sure it's ready and right. But we don't want you to think that we were just eating bonbons and drinking hot Mm -hmm. cocoa. Okay, I'm just saying we were drinking hot cocoa, but that's just half of it. Um, And so each week we just want to give you a little taste of what um, has come out of that, the fruit. And so the first thing I want you to do is I want you to look on the screen. Next year, you're gonna see this logo and this icon um, popping up all over the place uh, next year. Um, next year, our theme is rooted. Um, and that comes from uh, a verse that spawned this I, I, I thought process and this prayer and this idea. And the verse is found in Colossians chapter 2, Verse six and seven, it says, "'Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, "'so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, "'established in the faith, just as you were taught, "'abounding in thanksgiving.'" And, and as we were talking through that, and I was praying through it, and we were visiting about it as a team, we really started to talk about how much we talk about Jesus, but then questioning how often do we reference his story? You know what I mean? Like, I love Paul's writings, I love John's writing in Revelation, love Acts, and those are all great, but those aren't about the time that Jesus was walking on this earth and his story here. And I would tell you this, if we read all of that good stuff in the rest of scriptures, but you don't have the gospels, then you won't find yourself at the right destination. And we just said, what would it look like next year if we just rooted ourselves in the story of Jesus Christ? What would that look like? And so that's going to be our focus next year. We're going to walk most of the time through the book of Luke um, together as a church family. But in doing that, we start designing ways for you individually and as a family to be rooted in the story of Christ as a family and as an individual. One of those ways you saw last week when we had our time of prayer. Next year, we're gonna be having intentional times of rooted in Christ through prayer. And you'll see that happen monthly in service. Each day of the week, prayer requests that are submitted to our church and others that our staff has put together will be prayed for specifically. Part of our staff's daily routine will be to spend a half hour in prayer, isolated, simply to pray for the prayer requests that have been submitted in so that every day those prayers are being prayed for. And we're going to be joining in that together on Sunday mornings. And we've also put together a 52-week gospel reading plan. And what we're going to do is we're going to give a copy to everyone in the church to help us all read through the whole of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John together at a very slow pace. You may say, Pastor, I'm a bad, bad reader. The shortest weekly reading is seven minutes, and the longest is 14 minutes and 47 seconds that we try to time it out and so the good news is we're going to ask all of our small groups to start off by answering a couple of questions about what we read that week one how did you see jesus in the passage this week and two what is god calling you to do from this passage to change to repent to act upon to pray about So that those two questions fill the hallways of our church. And our prayer is, is that we walk through the Gospels together so that small groups are talking about those two questions together. When you're walking through the church and you say, man, I read something this week. You can be confident that some other person, a deacon, a pastor, a friend, a lay leader or whatnot, has read it as well. So that we can walk through the Gospels together and just saturate ourselves with Christ's story. If you have little ones who reading is outside of their realm at the moment, we're gonna work to put together short snippets of ways to help you tell the story or at least one story from the reading to your kids each week so that you can do that as a family. And here's what we loved about it. If you're like me and forget things, do y'all ever forget things? We figured that seven to 15 minutes is about how long most of you live from church. So if you forget, on your way in, you can push play on some MP3 somewhere or some app, and you can get it done, however it needs to be. We just want to be rooted in the story and the life of Jesus Christ next year. And so in January, we'll talk about all the ways that that comes out, but there's a little taste of where we're going. So each week, we'll try to give you a little bit more, but when you see that, that symbol on things or around places, It's to remind you and me that we are to be rooted in Christ, in his story. And that's a pretty amazing segue into our scripture reading today. If you have your Bible, Luke chapter 1 is where we are today. Luke chapter 1 in verse, uh, excuse me, I apologize. Luke chapter 2, I said chapter 1, but it's Luke chapter, I'm in Colossians 2. Y'all, I'm stuffed up. It's Luke chapter 1, verse 5. I was in Colossians chapter two. Welcome to Parkway. If you're visiting with us today, pastor's not on his game. But, but the story of Luke chapter one is interesting because Luke starts off the gospel saying, I'm writing you this story, this account, dear Theophilus, I'm writing it to you so that you can be certain concerning the things you've heard about. In other words, his desire is to be clear with with Theophilus and all who would read it. And then from being this desire to be clear, he does something kind of interesting. He goes into two stories. The first one starts in verse 5, chapter 1. The second one starts in verse 26. And he doesn't finish either story. One is the story about a a boy promised, and his name would be John. And one was promised a story of Jesus. Um, But neither of them are born before the story moves on. It's such an interesting thing that happens. I don't know that Luke would make it in our modern movie cycle day, because everybody knows an origin story is its own movie. Amen? Like that's it. You can't do 14 origin stories at the same time. Everyone deserves their own origin story. And so John writes these two stories and they're about a promised child to two very different couples. And he doesn't finish them He doesn't finish one before moving on to the other He doesn't bring them both to the same spot and tie them together And so in the midst of this writing, it would seem strange Either John A. does not know how to write a good story Or two, the story is about something bigger One of those two things either Luke doesn't know what he's doing or it's about something else. And so when I started to read this, I started to look at these two stories. And if you read them on face value, they really lead us into this unimaginable scene of Christmas, something we would have never anticipated. In fact, I would tell you if I were reading the story for the first time, that it doesn't work out the way it should have. First, let's listen to John's story, starting in verse 5. And then let's listen to the story of the promise of Christ's coming in verse 26. It's going to be a lot of reading, so let's jump in it today together. The Bible says it this way. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. He had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly all in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as a priest before God when the division was on his duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple and burn incense. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside of the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of the incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Verse 16 And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to children and disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Well, Zechariah said to the angel, how would I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I'm sent to speak to you and bring to you good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that this takes place because you did not believe my words, which would be fulfilled in their name, in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. When he came out, he was unable to speak to them and they realized that he had seen a vision of the temple. He kept making signs to them and remained mute. And at this time of service was ended, he went to his home. And after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. For five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. I know that was a mouthful, and I think it's intentional. This is a long passage of Scripture. If, If Luke is setting up a story that's supposed to be incredible and awesome, he does it really well with John. I mean, look at John's credentials to be someone great. The Bible says his dad was a priest and his mom was a daughter of Aaron. In other words, she was from that lineage of Aaron who was a high priest and God's people. Like in the middle of holy couples, this was like the Billy Graham lineage, you follow me? Like this is like, they're the good stuff. And not only that, it even, John goes out, or Mark goes, Luke goes out of his way to articulate and say that they were both righteous before God. In fact, they walked blamelessly in the laws. In other words, that doesn't mean that they were perfect, but it does mean that they went out of their way to keep the law. Not only did they have the name of a priestly family, they had the reputation of a priestly family. In the middle of that, we find out that they're older and she's barren. What a godly couple. They're deserving of a special surprise, aren't they? Have you ever wondered sometimes like, you really think that such and such is deserving and such and such maybe is not as deserving? Has that ever happened to you? Like some somewhere in your life that you think, you know, that that person, they're due. They're such a good, sweet couple. Like they're due to have something good happen to them. I don't know why it's always rough for them. I feel like they're due to have something good. They're older, she's barren, she's wanted a child, her life. Like she's due for a blessing. And where he gets the news is in the temple. Like he's actively serving God when he gets good news. I mean, is that not a great story for setting up your baby's gonna be special? I mean, you're the right couple doing the right thing in the right place at the right time and you get this great news like this kid's gonna be awesome. Verse 26, we change stories. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, tried to discern what sort of greeting that might be. And the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God and behold you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you will call his name Jesus and he will be great and will be called the son of the most high the lord god will give him the throne of his father david and he will reign over the house of jacob forever and his kingdom to his kingdom there will be no end <clears throat> verse 34 and mary said to the angel how will this be since i am a virgin and the angel answered her and said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the, Lord, therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, the relative Elizabeth in her old age is conceived a son, In this, this sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary says, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. And in those days, Mary rose and went with haste into the hill country to a town of judah jesus family. Now, if you didn't notice, the passage was shorter, and normally longer means more significant and up to this point, John's got the longer story. <clears throat> Look at jesus 's background. who's going to be greater? Jesus, his mom most likely is a teenager, a young teenager she 's a virgin. And she's engaged. This means that this doesn't mean that they are married and living together. What it does mean is that they are living for one another. And in this year of preparation, so to speak, they are under this covenant. And the only way to get out of the covenant is divorce. So if you can imagine, for lack of a better way to visualize it, the start of your wedding ceremony began and a year later it ended. Amen, you kind of follow me? Like that's that's, that's courtship in a nutshell. But it's this young girl and her fiance. We have no idea what Mary does. We don't hear about her reputation, other than she's just a virgin at this point. And her fiance is a blue collar worker. He works with wood and rocks. He was probably a carpenter and a stonemason and many other things. He wasn't a priest, he probably didn't go to school past the age of 12. He really wasn't anybody. They surely weren't looking for a blessing. A child, maybe age 15. She's not due, right, for a baby. She hasn't suffered a long time. In fact, she's a virgin. In fact, she's not even looking for a blessing. And she received the message in Nazareth. Nazareth is a town in Galilee of the Gentiles. Galilee of the Gentiles was an unclean place. Nothing good would come from Nazareth because the whole region is unclean. So who should be the parents of the Messiah? The priestly couple who've been righteous and blameless, who are serving the Lord faithfully when they get the news of a child, or a teenage girl not yet married, To a blue collar fiance from a dirty town. I think if you or I were writing this story without the angel's interjection, we might think that John's family is better set up to point the Messiah and to raise him to the calling that God's put before him. Wouldn't you think? Have you ever looked back at your backstory yourself and thought, uh, if things would have been different, if my parents wouldn't have been this way, if I wouldn't have had these issues? Have you ever been in those moments and just thought, if all of these outside forces were different, then I would be a different person too? I think the beauty of God's story is that it's not about John. Luke's story should be about John. At best, it should be about John and Jesus running this race together. But God doesn't make this story work like it should. In all of our future casting, we would have picked a certain people to be the right kind of people and a certain people to be a wrong kind of people. But what we said in our children's time is true. Isaiah chapter 55, verse eight and nine for my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And I would tell you today that we are thankful that things didn't go the way they should have. And here's a few reasons why. First of all, because things didn't go the way they should have gone, the divinity of God is made first and foremost. You can't miss God's divine intervention. Look at John's story in this. The angel comes in and we might say it was about time. We might say all of these things happened. But in Mary's story, we don't see this together. We see this old barren woman who is due, her child being important, great among men, but second to the other child, to this Jesus child. We say a virgin giving birth. You see, this story that's woven together is meant to do one thing. It's meant that you and I would not be able to give credit to any person, to any plan, and to any place, but to God alone. If you look at the story of Scripture, Scripture lines it up that way. Back in the Old Testament, we see Abraham. He's living in a place called Ur. Ur. With no children, and God says, I'm calling you to a promise that you can't have on your own and that you can't claim without me. We go a little bit further and we see the stories of Joseph in Egypt, a boy who hate was hated by his own brothers, sold into slavery, a prisoner, that became the rescuer of, of Israel. How? Because God alone was in control. We see the Exodus in Moses' story. We see David beating the giant. We see Samson and Gideon. We see Paul in prison and the door is shaking loose. If you haven't learned anything about God or if you don't know anything about him, let me let you know this. He doesn't need a man's testimony to prove who he is. And he is not afraid to show his divine authority at any and every point. When he was hardening Pharaoh's heart in the book of Exodus, we read in chapter seven, verse five, that he says, I am doing this so that they will know that I am Lord. Church, have you ever thought that the reason God sent Jesus the way that he did was so that you and I would never be tempted to look to ourselves to define the story of the Messiah? I mean, how strong are the temptations for you and I to feel like we can earn our way to heaven? How, how strong are those temptations for you and I to feel like that you and I can stack up enough good deeds versus bad deeds so that God lets the people with a bigger stack on the left than on the right into eternity? That I might be able to somehow accomplish divine things like salvation by sprinkling my life with God as needed and being a good person. How rampant is that temptation? You see, God goes out of his way to show that the giving of his son to be the price and the life of our salvation could only happen through a divine hand. And church, I believe that's to remind us that we should know that there is no one else like our God. And that includes the person looking at you and me in the mirror. I I think the second thing that we see in this passage is that we see God promoting his promises. Have you ever ever thought about that? I I am the worst. Christy will tell me all the times be careful, don't just say something randomly. Years ago, someone convicted me of that when I said, hey, I'll be praying for you. And I found out that sometimes when I said that, I'd forgot to pray for them. It wasn't on purpose. I mean, y'all don't do this, it's just me. But, but now when I say I'm praying for you, like right then is when I pray. Because otherwise I'll forget and I will be an unintentional liar, amen? No one wants a preacher who's an unintentional or an intentional liar, but, but the reality is, I want to be a promise keeper. And why do I want to be a promise keeper? Because my God is a promise keeper. Look in verse 26 and verse 27 of chapter 1 in Luke. Look at verse 26 and 27 and look at the promises. In the sixth month, an angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary. I want you to know in the Old Testament, in the book of Isaiah chapter nine, verse one, God says, Nazareth, you have a stinky reputation, but I will make it good because from you will come this king. He's a promise keeper. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 says that the Messiah will come from a virgin. And virgin means two things. One, it means a young woman. But it also means that she was kept from men. And through Mary, not through Elizabeth, Elizabeth's story by itself, she should have been the one by human measures. But God's promoting his promise. And so in Isaiah, hundreds of years before the child, Christ, child ever was born, here this promise was made and now it is kept. In Isaiah chapter 11, verse one, in Second Samuel chapter seven, we are told that the, the kingdom, the throne of David, that it would stand for all time. That this shoot, this branch of David, It couldn't be killed or cut off. And here is Joseph engaged, so legally married, but not through this process. Here it's his household under the throne of the name of David. Not the priest, Aaron, but the promise of God. I I don't think anything about this was supposed to make uh, Mary and Joseph awesome. I think that's why Joseph isn't throughout most of Scripture, because he's not the the father of the story. I think that's why Mary doesn't become, her thread through Scripture doesn't become awesome, because it was never about her. You see, what God says is, I made this promise, and so I'm going to keep my promise. So this Christmas church, as I looked at my life and your life, the question becomes... How many times do you need to see God as a promise keeper so that in your times of grief or joy, of victory or defeat, that you'll remember it's all still standing on the promises of God? I would tell you that our king has layered promises from the beginning of Genesis through the end of Revelation. And he has shown them fulfilled and fulfilled and fulfilled for one purpose. So that you and I, no matter where we are, no matter what we're going through, no matter how we think a situation should have worked out or will work out, that we don't have to be afraid. Because our God is a promise keeper. And he shows us in the story of the mother and her fiance who we probably wouldn't have written into the story so the last thing I want you to see is that God promotes what he values see God prizes his people and this is unique if you're in Christ Jesus this morning I want you to hear this God loves you and he will never stop loving you and you are his, and you will never stop being his. I love the reactions both of, of John and of Mary. When the angel comes to Mary, he says, "Greeting, Oh favored one! What does she do?" She's like, "Oh my Lord, what did I do?" Have you ever wondered like if God would really speak to your heart? maybe show up or one of his messengers. Lord, you've been asked, I've been crying out to you all this time, but now you're here and I'm pretty sure I'm overwhelmed. John's a priest in the temple. When the angel shows up, he says, hey, John, I've heard the Lord has heard your prayers. And it says, Zechariah, the priest, was troubled when he saw him. There wasn't anything that Zechariah did to earn the favor of God, and there wasn't anything that Mary did to earn this blessing. In this case, before Jesus adopted us in as children, they were part of his family. If you look through the pages of scripture, start in Genesis, what you'll see is this. People who weren't deserving of, of God's hand being called his. Abraham wasn't unique. His wife was beautiful. and we got around men that were bigger than him, what did he do? Hey, tell him you're my sister. That's not courage, amen? He wasn't somebody special. Moses, he wasn't anybody. God showed him favor. He ran into the desert. God brought him back to where he put him. Moses said, please use somebody else. God said, no. David, he was the runt of the litter. He would have been the least educated, the least depended on, and quite honestly, if David would have died, it would have been the least sorrowful in the whole family. He didn't do anything but God favored him. You see, church, what Christmas reminds us about is that we have a God whose ways are higher than ours and he doesn't write the story the way we think it should turn out. And that's the best news we could ever hear. Because in his writing of his story, he sent his son to be raised by this blue collar family and to shed his blood for people who wouldn't love him, who would cheer his death and for those who are actively his enemies. I wouldn't have written that story. It shouldn't have worked out that way. It shouldn't have happened. But praise God, I am not the author of eternity. And because God chose to write a different ending, today I stand before you and say, if you are not a part of God's family right here and right now, that the promise is available for you. It doesn't matter what kind of family you came from. It doesn't matter what kind of education you have. It doesn't doesn't matter where you were yesterday or last night. Right now, because God's ways are higher, the gospel is available to you. So if you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior this morning, you are invited by a God who wrote a different story than anyone else would have written, who sent his child to a family we wouldn't have picked to show that he is divine, his promises are secure, and he prizes his people. This morning, if you find yourself in a spot and you belong to Jesus if you've kind of been wondering like God why are these things happening this isn't the way I planned this to be things aren't going how I want them to go what's happening I want to invite you to do something during our invitation instead of singing I just want you to pray I'd invite you to pray and say, God, would you instead of letting me ask why I see what's going on in my life and why it's happening this way, instead, would you let me see your divinity? Would you help me understand your promises and let me stand secure in you until I see what you want me to see? Let's pray together. Father God, we love you. We thank you for this time and this place. We thank you for the story that, Lord, we probably would have written differently. Lord, you didn't reprimand the priestly couple. You blessed them greatly. But, God, you just chose to write the story differently. So, Lord, today, would you let us bathe in the sunlight of that truth? Lord, if there's a person in this room whose story has kept them from surrendering their whole life to you, Lord, right here and right now, Father God, would you let them lay themselves down, put that burden on the floor, and wrap their arms around the God who wrote a better story for them than they would have ever written before. In Jesus' name, amen.